Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Comics Fondle Podcast, the first of 2017. My name is Andrew. My blog is comicsfondle.com. My name is Vernon, and I own a little comic book store in the North Shore of Chicago called Comics Gallery. <laughs> and anyway, it's our first podcast of 2017. It there, is. Isn't it? And gosh, you know, it, it was kind of a slow start. Like, the comic book companies, they had like to take it, it still off. is a slow start. Like... You're scraping for material to try to read here. Like, you got anything this week? Uh, maybe. I don't yeah, know. Maybe, yeah. It's, yeah uh, so it, it took us till what, halfway through March to come up with enough of a list to start talking about stuff again anyway. So we're going we're gonna to go straight into comics, uh, hopefully uh, just so I can remember some of these things that I've been reading because – there's finally a new batch of Image Comics and uh, Extremity. Extremity, yeah, there's a bunch of new ones out, and we got lucky with those. And uh, Extremity, that, that's by an unknown bunch. And the, I don't know if you saw the cover to this thing. Uh, Mike Spicer is the uh, artist, and it's got this young lady waving her bloody arm stump in the air. And I was like, you know, what a curious choice for covers. Like, we were reading another book this week called Redline, number one, and it has... Var, uh, variant covers, and one of those is of somebody barfing on the front cover. And for the life of me, you know, you just that one customer in a million that picks up a cover with a, a guy barfing on it, but the rest of them you go for the other one, you know. So anyway, what's with the ugly covers? But uh, I got through yeah. Extremity. I thought it was all right. I mean, uh, nothing new, nothing reinventing the wheel. Very nice pictures. I say the art. Very nice good. pictures. Guess what else this guy has worked on. Uh, is that Daniel Warren Johnson, the writer, or Mike Spicer? Daniel Spice, Warren Johnson, writer-artist. Oh, my. He's he did a, a backup. Artist. He did a backup on Profit 43. So he's a Brandon oh. Graham guy. Oh, my. Which kind of makes sense. I mean, you know. <clears throat> oh, Spicer colorist. I was mistaken. Yeah, it's wild. Mr. Johnson is the uh, whole package here. Well, it was, uh, I, I guess, you know, and it's kind of funny because then we have a tendency to lighten our rules about writing when an artist or somebody takes on the double task of both writing and artist, you know. I feel like, I feel like this is going to be a good podcast to talk about that because in some ways we're not really seeing that anymore. Like... We're not seeing the second coming of James Stoku here, right? Like, no, no there's there's a lot of very uh, what do you call that? Ex decently executed ideas, you know, if nothing right, new. But I mean, nothing new. I mean, not even really on the art. I love how the motorcycle looks like the one out of Akira. Yes, like, it's all very yeah, it's all very active artwork. Yeah, and so I mean, it's you know, it's a good little image book. What's the uh, cover price on it? Uh, four bucks. That seems to be the new norm. It is a couple of image books. But yeah, you see, you know, like if this is your bag, you'll know it by looking at it, you know, for a second or two, you know, with the futuristic yeah. bloodletting and the space bikes and the, the, the weird, uh, fetishism bone thing and all that going on, you know, I don't know. It was, it was there. It was, what do you call that? Is it professionally executed product? That's about what you kind of look at it as sometimes, yeah. you know? Yeah, so if you know you're into it or not. We got another one, Redline. Now, what what is this about? I, I, I was Wait, trying I didn't to work read this it. out. What, what is this? You didn't read it? Never fucked. Uh, I read it twice, and I'm still working on that. It's, apparently, on. it's some type of episodic Hold thing. Redline. Redline. I'm trying to find it. It's Oni. Okay. 
Yeah, it's Oni. Yeah, Oni. Extremity was image. This is an Oni one. Yes, yes, yes. And okay. they're the ones with the pukey cover. They had a pukey cover, and then they had a guy. I see the pukey cover. Yeah, go figure. Okay. You know? And then the other one's kind of weird, too. But it, it's kind of like this, what, this guy who runs a, 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 a station on some planet, or he's the legal guy, or whatever it is that they're running in and out of in this planet, and He's at odds with his superior who sponsors the missions, but that's our seems to outrank her. It's got some male defecation in it as well. Mm. And it's kind of, yeah, exactly. It's even got full frontal with this guy after he gets interrupted, uh, shall we say. Nice. And yeah, it, it's just kind of a real kind of a gritty, realistic like mission, but I'm not quite sure what the purpose of it all is, you know. And the artist, who do we get on this one? Holman and McCormick and Fitzpatrick. I mean, again, another nicely executed product, but I wasn't especially emotionally moved one way or another. Although it was a longer read than Extremity, I'll give it that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, just following. looking at just looking at the preview art, it seems like this is the uh, this is sort of the year where everything is basically going to look like a Dark Horse Presents comic strip from '94, right? <laughs> well, you know, and yeah, exactly. I also another <laughs> thing: the last two books could have been like in heavy metal magazine. You know, what I mean, they're very fantasy or science fiction related. Mm-hmm. They fit that mold like to a T. You know, what I mean. All right, and it's Man, very this- strange because we haven't seen that genre really have a lot of great successes. You know, it's like no, it, no, I'm afraid not. We've seen we've seen some good things come from it, but it's just a very strange. Uh, it's catching on again, but this time it's like it's not popular. It's very weird. <clears throat> I'm not even sure if we have genres anymore. I, I mean, like so much gets picked up and made so quickly. It's like my God, it's like we don't even have fads anymore. We just like go from one thing to another. Whoever that's very true. Like this. Yeah, I mean anything that catches your fancy, and including this really odd one. Uh, Jeff Lemire's number one for this week. He gets to write and draw Royal City. Royal City, which is not which is not in any way like Terminal City, which bummed me out. Yep. So uh, we always talk about this, but um, the Jeff Lemire story is that I liked Jeff Lemire before Vernon did, and then he I did, jumped he off. Did. I jumped off the Jeff Lemire boat after too many disappointments. And in the meantime, Vernon jumped on, jumped on. and we've sort of, we sort of have uh, both come back, back with Black Hammer. We're both sort of on board with that, um, yeah. and you know, it's just that Jeff Lemire, <clears throat> he did some stuff with Vertigo, and just the way that he burns you out, like the way he doesn't come through in the end, it's really disappointing because he's got some really good ideas with Royal City. I feel a little bit more confident saying he doesn't have that many great ideas. He's just got... He's kind of riffing. He's doing a family drama. Like, he's doing an Oprah book club book. And, I mean, it's fine. Like, I wish the art were better. Like, if the art were normal, well... To be fair, with Jeff Lemire, you always wish the art were better. He draws like a left-footed monkey. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, you know, it's okay. It's, It's... It was a double size issue right which was a little much like it was but you know what he got you through it i mean i i read it from start to finish anyway and i didn't i didn't read the the end at addendum at the end no i, I didn't read that. the back well no. i mean i started reading the back material and he's like i hate back material and i was like 
well, I'm not going to read it then, Jeff Lemire, because I hate bad material too. But in a way, this, this this succeeded in a way that he's just kind of riffing on a family story. And if, yeah, if- I mean, it's totally cool stuff, and this is the kind of thing that. A couple years ago, not a couple, but like six years ago, we would have been thrilled by this. Right, right. Now it seems kind of like, I wouldn't say industry right. norm, but at this point, Jeff Lemire and who's the other guy, Matt Kitt, they seem to be like carving out a little weird niche for themselves. They you know? do, but it's, it's very much a sort of a mainstream fanographics, mainstream drawn and quarterly. Yeah, very mainstream, right. It's almost like... It's accessible, like... And they have a language they've developed that they talk in that's uniquely theirs, right? I mean, they have this style and this way of doing things. And you kind of, either you're on on board or you're not. But I don't know, I thought it was pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of the holy man, Matt Kent, he did a new book called Grass Kings. Who you also didn't used to like. Uh, That's right, yes. Some of his stuff was hard for me to get through. I don't know. Maybe, uh, what, what would you say, like... If you were back in the the impressionistic period or the Cubist period, and something was hitting you, and you're like, oh, "I'm not quite ready for that," but then after you get used to it, say, "Okay, I can work with it." But then you know it has to be past a initial fascination. You have to. It has now, to. Take you kids the is very time. different than he was at the beginning. He is yeah, very he's different. He's pretty structured at uh, mind management stuff, and mm-hmm. you were before that, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah, I liked him a long. I I fell off Kent. Very early on, <clears throat> but um, it's just he's there's this new sort of uh, the new indie-ish mainstream, I guess. Like as long if it's not Skybound, right? Like because Skybound yeah, yeah. is a little bit different, but <clears throat> Skybound it's a dark it. horse. It's an image. It's a little bit at Oni, it's a little bit at Boom, but it's like guys like Matt Kitt, guys like um, Jeff Lemire, they're sort of like a little indier than Matt Fraction, but just as accessible. And and, and they have a tendency to be writer-artists as well. Mm-hmm. You know? They start out as writer-artists, they can do both, and that helps them with getting that visual style of the script. It's got to because and they have time to devote to it too. I mean, they write mm-hmm. stuff for Marvel at DC, and they get to draw their own stuff, their heart and soul stuff. But they get to work commercially because they can write. Well, yeah, I guess they can write. We'll see if what. That's the big thing. Is there like Mister Kent was interesting in mind management, and you wonder like, can they get to that point again? you know, with their work, where you're just in awe of what it is, or is it just kind of genre Kent or genre Jeff Lemire material, you know? Um, right. He teams up with uh, a watercolor artist on this Grass Kings book, Tyler Jenkins, who does some really nice stuff. I don't know how he's going to keep up a monthly deadline doing this, but it probably won't come out monthly anyway, so I don't know why I'm asking. Um, it's Boom, right? Matters. Is it Boom? Um, it's Boom. It's a boom, yeah. I don't know whether the subject matter grabbed me enough. Uh, it's survivalist town stuff about a, a young guy who gets picked up by a sheriff, you know, and he's, they tote him around to see what he wants, and he's talking to him about the history of the town before he takes him to the edge and says, well, I'm lucky, you're lucky my brother didn't get you, otherwise, you know, it'd be a lot worse. And I was like, okay, we'll see where this adds up to, but 
what's his name, Brian Wood just beat us to this subject matter a couple months ago with that Briggsland book that he put out. And I was like, oh, should they have put this out right now or not? Because it's a very similar treading path. Um, I might have waited a little bit longer until there was a little bit of distance, say, let's print this a few months afterwards or something, because it kind of starts in that same land. Uh, you know, what do you call it? Survival where the family owns the sheriff and the mayor and all that stuff, and everybody else has been there for generations. They own the land, I guess you'd say, and they keep everybody yeah. else off. But nice watercolor by Tyler Dunning, though. Otherwise, that's a pretty good book, you know. Yeah, let's see. Oh, here, you, you want this one. You want to touch on this next one. Another number one, which we've been waiting Another for. Fanographics. One that, yeah, Fanographics. Our first Fanographics book on the podcast since Vernon sat down and read every uh, Love, Love and, and Rockets. Rockets. Yeah, yeah. My eyes are so, still in, um, in. All right. Um, Crime Destroyer. It's part of the Fantagraphics superhero line. Um, it's a homage. It's an homage. It's um. So it's it's uh, a seventies Vietnam vet who becomes a Batman type, but he kills the villains, and he's a black guy, so he's a black Frank Castle as Batman, basically. And there's a Superman standing, and there's, with a cool costume. Well, yeah, and there's like all sorts of, yeah. I mean, the Herb Trimp art, Trimpy, whichever, is the draw to this. The oh uh, yeah. Which is which is cool, but also really kind of problematic for this is the first all time comics, right? Uh, as far as I know, yeah, yeah, right. So this is not as reassuring as say when you read the first America's Best comics back in '98, and you were like, "Holy shit, this is great!" And then Alan oh, yeah, Moore delivers. Yeah, these guys aren't on that league. There's no way around no, that. No, they're not. But it's it's concerning because they're not even really on a Fantagraphics league. No, no. But in some ways, you're right. It, it, it's not like – it's very homage. It's very dense. I mean this thing takes you 20 minutes plus to go through. Um, and there's, but there's not much content. There's a lot of talking. There's a lot of – Exposition. Um, yeah, or exposition whatever they, and yeah. just like – But that's kind of what 70s comics were in some ways. I, I really did feel to some degree there wasn't enough – maybe there wasn't enough development of either the villains or the heroes. They probably could have done a little more with that if they weren't going to come to any – thing less than a general point at the end about who right. won or whatever. But um, I don't know. It really brought me back into a time when I'd like buy a Marvel comic or something like that. This was like a little more grittier and bloodier. And it was just indulging myself. Now, whether or not I can do issue after issue of this, that's another thing. But I thought for a homage effort, it worked out pretty good. And it was good to see Herb Trimpey doing his thing that's again. That's true. It was good to see uh, Herb Trimpey doing his thing. And, and who's doing the colors on this thing? My God, it's just, it's insane. I think it uh, might be brighter. I think it, it might, might be. be. Um, what do we got? What do we got? Crite, gloss, lettering, inks, pencils, story, and... Huh. Josh Boehner, maybe? I don't yeah, know. Edits. Writer, yeah. Edits. Oh, no, wow, he edited okay. it. So who the hell did... Yeah. Uh, yeah, who did okay. the color? The color separation. The color is just—it's very nice because Marvel's really, you know, chooched up their reprints of '70s books. 
Yeah, and it's, so it's very nice to see sort of an approximation of what it's like to read an actual '70s comic. Well, you know, I'll be honest with you; it looks like they stuck to the original '64 color spread to the old books, and it it it, it has this really creepy dark. Um, how do you say? It's almost like ghoulish at times. So I I, I look at it and I'm like, man, this uh, this stuff is pretty intense. And this mm-hmm. guy, Benjamin Mara, who inks it, does a wonderful job inking Trippy's work here. Now, he does some real kinky, nasty James Bond stuff for Fantagraphics that's just overloaded with sex and stuff like that. So, <laughs> if you're of that night, you might want to present. But you know what? Crime, Destro- Crime Destroyer scratches an itch. Now, I'm not saying I could sit there and go through this every issue. I mean, you have to some develop the characters, or are these just going to be one-shot Parodies or homages. I think it's going to be six one-shots. Six one-shots. That that I could get through. We'll see how the approach uh, differs in each issue and work from there, you know. But I got through. But this was a, a, a dense read, four ninety nine, right? But no no ads. And the memorabilia I mean, stuff at the back. Yeah, and for your target audience, it's Herb Trimpey's last work. Like, And they don't even acknowledge his death in here, do they? I don't know. Maybe. They talk about uh, immemorable, immemorable. Yeah. yeah, they do. They do, but they don't tell you how he died or anything. They do have a nifty uh, re- review of Johnny Ryan's prison pit by Al Migram, of all people, who doesn't understand it whatsoever and says so in his review and why anybody would want to buy that comic book and stuff like that. It was pretty good. Anyway, that's a good one. If your deal doesn't carry Crime Destroyer, slap him around and tell him he's missing out. Ooh, man, there's more new types of shit. Shake a stick loose at me, ends. What's loose ends? Vernon, tell us. <clears throat> yeah, loose ends is a four issue mini, which is almost kind of there. Like you know, when a comic book is just kind of the haze and it's putting itself together, but after you read it, it still doesn't form a tightly knit, coherent style. And loose ends has a lot to recommend for it, particularly Chris Brunner's artwork. Um, Jason Latour does the story, and. Maybe it's it could be it could be maybe Chris Brenner's narrative thing he's not getting it or maybe uh, Mr. Latour isn't quite phrasing it properly to him but it's a really beautifully illustrated uh, story about people who uh, they, they they have like college together and what happens to a man a few years down the road and I guess it's like a road violence picture of mother, a chick and a dude they get loose from the cops and everything and just split and try to try to survive and. Uh, I don't know. It's pretty good stuff. This guy, Chris Brunner, he brings out a lot of really beautiful illustrational work. Uh, particularly, it looks like he might have worked in animation or something like that. His figures are very fluid and they're very lifelike. And the production with the colors is top dog, too. You really feel the lights and stuff like that. There's a two-page spread at the very end on the highway that's quite breathtaking for a digital approach. So, I don't know. It's kind of a cool, quirky one, you know, like slice-of-life, low-rent crime stuff and... uh Puts this one out. This is an image four issue series called Loose Ends, of which we're halfway through. And uh, you've read some of Jason Latour's stuff. He's kind of an indie guy. What does he do? Is it uh, what's that one about? No, that's Jason Aaron. What's Latour? Latour draws it. Southern yep. bastards, Latour right? Yeah, yeah, draws Southern bastards. I don't know what I if I don't think I've ever read anything Latour's written. So maybe okay. I'll check that out on the. Um, maybe I'll check that out on the trade. Yeah, I'm thinking so too because uh, Brunner, this guy, he's very professional. The, the the stuff is really sweet, and I hope it all holds up in the end because it's like one of those books you want to succeed, you know? Right. Okay, loose ends. Look for it. Ask your dealer for it. Slap him if he doesn't have it. Another okay, image you, book. Another image. And no, now, no, 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 no. 
We're going no, Flintstones. Loose Ends was in an in image book. Was it? Let me see. Yes. Uh, yep, image. You know what they did? Okay, here's something silly. They, it, for, for visual medium, okay, they got, they got the Future of Comics logo imposed over the eye for image, 25. I guess it's their 25th anniversary, right? But it completely obliterates the image of the eye of image, so you have no idea what comic company it is whatsoever. So, you know, just open your eyes and look, people. <clears throat> yeah. All right, we did our number ones. There's a couple other ones, but we'll squeeze on from this. Yeah. Uh, so for some reason, yeah. So we're doing uh, Flintstones. Flintstones number nine. I don't know. Is it the best issue? Maybe. Like, I think it flowed wonderfully. It was very lighter it, of comment. It's just it's so much, and I think in issue six or seven, the first one after the election. Uh-huh. Uh, Russell stumbled a little bit. He was pushing too hard for social, uh, political and social commentary in the Flintstones sitcom setting. But, I mean, he, he sort of righted himself, and he's, uh, he's back on firmer ground, and he's got Steve Pugh on the art, and it's it just... A, um, it's a perfect romance. It's just, yeah, I don't even understand how... Like, Brittany Holzer and Marie Javins, the editors, are they the ones who put these two together? Like, where they were like, you know, Steve Pugh should do a, uh, you know, sort of feministy fucking Flintstones without any, like, dick and fart jokes. Like, we're not going to do anything. We're going to do this so seriously. It's lighthearted. But it's very serious at the same time, you know? Right. Um, like, there's this... It's it's very much like... It's that old... What is it? The old Simpsons um, sentiment. Uh, you know, whatever happens to us this week, it seems like next week everything will be fine. So we just have yeah. to make it through. You know, right. it's, it, it's very much like that. But a lot happens. And he carries it through. It's this very... All in the family, sort of like it's a very nor it's like Norman Lear's Flintstones. Right. It, it it's a sitcom in the effect that it usually takes a couple of stories and they wind around another uh, back and forth a little bit, and then they both resolve by the end of the episode. And uh, on one hand, we got the story about Fred and this new religion that empowers the rich to treat the poor like shit even more than they normally mm-hmm. would, right? And then the other story is about their household appliances and the missing one. And it's uh, it's a pretty – yeah, it's just yeah. great stuff, you know. It's just so weird. And, I mean, it's like you read it every month and Betty's on the cover and you're like, are Barney and Betty even in this comic? And it's like, not really. That's not what he's doing with this. It's, it's, very, it's very cool uh, what Russell's – I think that's what Russell and the editors brought to this is that – it's not about, you know, the Flintstones didn't deal with the history of bedrock in a way that you intellectualized because it was the Flintstones. But Russell wants to do that. He wants to look at this idea of humans congregating. Oh, and yeah. With, the one issue, I'm sorry, the one issue that he talked about where they went from uh, farmers to like hunter-gatherers. Yeah. It's just, it's very cool. And I mean, it's like, it's, it's probably not scientifically accurate, 
but it's just the right amount of social commentary with this yeah. subject and the approach because it's such a weird idea. It's so fucking weird. Like it's as weird as doing an all in the family comic where it was slapstick, right? Like, yeah, you could do you the cartoon. All the politics. And it was all about like Archie pulling on, uh, Rob Reiner's nuts or something like, yeah, yeah. As a this, is, this is somewhat apolitical as well, although obviously Fred and Wilma represent the working class and Mr. Slade is the wealth, but I don't know. It's a pretty general book. I think it cl- stares clear of any like democratic or Republican stereotypes to some degree anyway. It does. Yeah. As I say, it, right. it, 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 it's still their best book. And this latest issue is, um, I would say, well, it isn't the best. It's, it's certainly, um, it seemed effortless for them to do it. Mm-hmm. Like they're on a roll here. They just they're all all, yeah. together. And, They've got their steam going again. Yeah, there's the chemistry that's working. This is a high point in comics, so I will take it. All right, I'm going to burn through the next one. It's a book called God Country that's hot potatoes in the speculative uh, world of eBay selling. I think my customer unloaded the first two issues of this thing to some poor schlep for 65 bucks. Wow! So, I know, there's some beer nuts money, I'm telling you, kids. But, again, it's it's a nice-looking concept that doesn't have enough meat. It kind of reminds you of uh, Ralph Bakshi's Wizards a little bit, but it's a little more edgy and ominous. And the uh, people, let me see, I'm going to get my creators right, because I look at the cover. Donnie Cates' words and Jeff Shaw on art and Jason Wordy on color. Well, he's been around. But um, it's it's kind of nice, but it's real still light on plot. It looks really nice. I don't know. It's one of those shiny object comics that looks really nice and you want to read it. And it's got swords and demons and old poor farmers in Texas and little girls. And I don't know. I'm still waiting for a good reason to recommend the book. But it's got nice visuals. This guy knows how to draw. I'll give it that. Still, though, it's a little light. And three issues took me all of, what, ten minutes to read. So we'll reserve judgment and see what happens in the first arc. I, I give it a pass this week anyway. And me. Okay, me, so... Uh... <laughs> See, I bet you put this on my list to read and I ignored it. Now I'm glad I ignored it. Oh, well, um, it, it, it follows through with like these comics that look nice, right? And there's just not a lot of nothing new there. You know? I, all art is about art. Okay, but you got to bring something fresh to the table. You just can't play the same song that the Who did. You got to add something to it, otherwise, mm-hmm. why do I want to hear it again? You know. But anyway, I'll leave it at that. You go ahead. We we want to see Steve, Ed Brubaker and Steve Epting cover seventies Captain America comics. Well, they did that already, though. I know it was a joke. It was. Oh, sorry. Anyway. <laughs> so now, on a strangely upbeat note, uh, if you've been keeping track over the last six months Knights Dominion 6 uh, ends the first arc uh, and Ted Knife you know he saves it enough that I want to read this fucking comic again <laughs> after I'm like I'm never reading this fucking comic again but he I just, went he's in- sort of yeah yeah, yeah. I went from enthused right after the first couple issues to like train wreck and third, fourth issue, and then yeah. he pulls it out of his ass in the last issue to make it he's all work. Like, like, yeah, he just ties it up, and he's like, "Okay, well, there you go. We'll, we'll, we'll do it next time." And uh, I think, 
I think it's a character. Whether or not we'll ever know. I oh. think it's, it's a good bet that he was truncating a longer story arc based on lack of reaction. I mean, Ted Knife has never had the success of Courtney Crumrin in the last five years, right? So, Right, right. Princess Hug didn't do it either, and I cried over that. No. Very, very upsettingly, Princess Hug did not do it. But anyway, it is the so most mainstream effort anyway. This looks very well, his stuff is kind of mainstream. It, is, but it was, it was, it was. There were male characters and there were adults. They weren't right. teenage girls, kids, you know. Right. Um. Yeah. So he sort of just he I, I, he doesn't save it. Like I never recommend to anybody read Knights Dominion Volume One. Well, you know, I I I recommend it with caveats. I'd say, listen, he successfully. Was the, the 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 what do you call it the role playing game genre right. and the characters are but it doesn't quite tie it up as convincingly as you'd like. No 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 no. If he pulls it off for the second volume, yes. But oh, otherwise, it, otherwise it's just you know, for people who it's, read it in the floppies, it's an interesting success to sort of see. Ted Naife, you know, save his ass at the last minute. It like, is. It is. I know this because I at three or four, I was like, God, I don't know if I can keep reading this thing or not. You know, this is like, why editor. am I reading this? I'm just looking at it, looking at it, going, Who are well, these fucking death see, priests? It, well, it's weird to see a creator of knife as power, like bring you along for a ride, introducing you to the main female character. You know, she gets to know her companions. You know, it picks up juice and steam and everything. And then by three or four, it's like he loses control of the train and it leaps the tracks and he's not quite sure how to get it back on the tracks. So we go through a whole issue of mishmash where literally visually and narratively, we don't know what's going on. We just, there's like a six or eight page action sequence in one of these books. I think it's four. You know, you're just really at at a draw to figure out what the hell's going on. But he, you're right. By issue six, he pulls it together. He makes the grand thing happen. Ted's uh, attraction lies in his flavor, I think, of depicting sword and sorcery and fantasy and moral things and stories of human condition and stuff. And he has a certain distance to it, perhaps. Um, God, you're right. Could I recommend? I could recommend it with caveats. Let's leave it at that. I go if you like this kind of stuff. You'll get through it. But again, it, it, volume two will be the score. I'll be back, you right. know, because he's, he's yeah, got we'll us. be back now, and it's like even excited, which means, you know, the, the knives are out. So yeah. you're going to talk about Rat Queens, which is about uh, Rat Queens. Uh, they brought back this book. Curtis, Curtis Weeby, is that his name? Why Weeby? Um, he was saddled up with an artist, and they invented this. And the artist, I think, uh, whose name I can't remember, probably for better, had some difficulties, domestic abuse, wife, spouse stuff. So I they sort of remember this from a previous yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah kind of like that. I don't remember all the details. But anyway, um, Rat Queens comes back with the original writer and a new artist. And it's kind of more Rat Queeny stuff. Nothing new. I mean, I read the first couple of volumes one day when I'm dicking around the shop. And it's all pretty lightweight, humorous, sword and sorcery with all women, which is cool, you know, and it's got its niche. And I'd say that uh, the book hasn't missed a beat, and fans of the book will come back for more. As for me, well, someday. <laughs> so yeah, uh, yeah. next up, <laughs> we have to yeah, talk about yeah, the fastest shipping Dark Horse book in history. 
hey, you know something? It shows you the professionalism. Or was this done earlier? I don't know. I think I think they had it in the bag because you get the feeling Fazoo how do you wanna how are we gonna pronounce his name? Fazula? Fazula? No. F E J Z U L A Zula. Zula. I don't know. I don't know any other Fazula. 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 Yeah, the J must be anyway, silent. Tony Fazula's art. You can you get the feeling that maybe it'll take some time or maybe it won't, right? Like depending on how right. he's gonna go with it. Yeah, he goes for a lot of weird textures. So uh yeah, we were going to talk about issue three, but in the meantime, issue four has already come out, so we'll talk and about we both, that too. No, we both yeah. read it. And so this is the uh, the book. Um, I think Vernon talked about it before I got on board. Uh, John Arcudi, it's a crime book. Doesn't reinvent the wheel. It's just a crime book. I wish it was two ninety nine. Is it two ninety nine? No, I don't think anything is two ninety nine. No, three ninety nine. Dark Horse went up to three ninety nine. So I mean it's three ninety nine, so you're paying a buck more. I mean it's a perfect two ninety nine book. I mean Arcudis, like I said, like this is a guy who, you know, he should probably be writing Law and Order or something. Um, he he does do tight plots, and but he, he he's formerly <clears throat> also associated with the Hellboy stuff over at Dark Horse as well. Yeah, but he got started on crime stuff back in the uh, Dark Horse Presents days. Yeah, he, he bounces around a little bit and does individual stuff every once in a while, I think. Yeah, yeah he does. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, he's a real tight plotter. He's a guy who, I don't know that he ever wrote for the big two. I think he probably did something for DC in the early 90s. That's possible. They, you know, right. probably do entry but, level. You know, and I mean, this is the era of the really tightly plotted story, you know, late late 80s through, say, 92. You had a really tightly plotted issue, and he... Uh, he does that with this, and it's um. Oh yeah, it's only yeah. four issues long, but it feels like a dense five. read. No, 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 no. It's six. What? Do you, or it's five. We have one more. Five. Okay. And that's like the go. craziest thing is, you know, shit goes down in the fourth issue, and you're just like, "There's yeah. no way you can wrap this up." No, no, it, it, it seems almost a crime to have to. to, to but you know, with 20, 20, 22 pages, he's going to have to do it next issue. So I'm looking forward to it. You know, he keeps yeah. you on board. Now, none of the particular characters are warm, but you do have sympathy for the main lead, the female right. investigator. You is, do, yeah. and it's it, – yeah, I mean, it's just a good, not great procedural. Like, yeah. Azula's art is very odd at times. He uses it, weird yeah, angles and elongated yeah. shapes. And, and the what was it, the pole dancer at the beginning, her weird shape and stuff that just catches your eye. It was really kind of interesting, you know, stuff. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's – um. Remember that weird book he did about the demon chick? Right, with uh, Greg Rucka. But he was a lot more um, confined. I think he was a lot more constrained in that from what I saw. Yeah, it was definitely an early art job where he overworked. You know, he yeah. was really overworking, yeah. And, and there wasn't maybe, much to say about Or maybe Dark Horse just realized it was better to let him be loose. You know what? Everybody's, everybody's career is organic in comic books. You know, things happen. Anyway, that's a good recommend for me and Andrew both. If you like crime noir, this is a good one. It's up with this is hopefully he ties it up the next issue. He's up in Brubaker's League, I guess, as far as kind of cool crime noir stories. Certainly right, right now. Anyway, um, Vernon's going to talk about <laughs> <Yeah>. Empowered. <laughs> All right, Empowered, one of my favorite heroines. Uh, 
kind of R plus rated black and white stuff uh, by Adam Warren primarily, but he does these side stories with his selected artist who uh, is a South American. Gosh, I hope we get the country. No, Carla Diaz anyway, and he found her artwork somewhere. I, I, I remember reading about the uh, in the uh, forward, but I don't have time to get go to go find a country. But uh, found a really good artist yet again to pair up with his version of Empowered. I I will have to hand it to Adam Warren. Um, he does find artists that, even though they're all very unique, uh, they're all very suited for the material. He finds them, and they all work really well with the stuff. And uh, the, the exploits of Empowered are just wonderful little parodies of comic book stories done with panache, both in the writing with the zings and the language and the artwork, which constantly has Easter eggs in it. And Empowered is a totally pathetic character. And this latest one about this Spanish character, she speaks Spanish all the way through the book, so it helps to know Spanish. But you and I can figure it out, you know. It's still Latin, you know, right? Yeah. But uh, <clears throat> great, great fun stuff. Three issues long, and uh, I'm salivating for the next two. All right, you can talk about the next one. Have you read it? I haven't had the opportunity to read Purgatorio, no. All right, I think so it was the backup. Purgatorio 8. Um... Not a great lead from Alan Moore. Well, it's what animated uh, cartoons this time. This is an interesting one, so it doesn't uh, keep up the uh, enthusiasm, as you say. Huh? Well, I mean, he's hit some real high points with this. Um, but the last issue was similar. He did the Western, and it wasn't that great. Huh. I wonder if he's passed the prime on the material anyway. Is it something that he's open-ended about? Hopefully no, it's not there, there, no. 300 pages with a shit he said he was going to do from now on. No, this isn't they're, – they're finishing it up and it's like – you know, it's Alan Moore. He probably was trying to do something that Avatar would say yes to immediately. So Yeah. But but I mean, it's all right. Get, some... He wouldn't get paid for it. I mean – Right. Right? Yeah. I mean, so it's all self-indulgent stuff anyway. Might as well make it good, I hope, but obviously not. Well, no, I mean it's it's fine. It's just not it's not the level that we've we've seen in this book. He has huh, hit levels okay. in this book that we weren't expecting him to hit. Um, the Kevin O'Neill art is really good on it. Um, as far as the backups go, uh, the Garth Ennis one is that's the second draw of the book, right? That's, yep, that's the second one. That's the Code Prue that started out as a two-issue limited uh, about witches that has become this sort of just everything supernatural kitchen sink book that he's doing, or um, serial. You know, it's uh, it's fine. The whole issue is kind of fine because uh, finally the Kieran Gillen has some good art on it. Oh, the ant story? Yeah. No, not the ant story. Um, Modded? Modded's got some really nice art on it. Uh, but oh, no, the ant story's got the guy who does the vast, the giant, the oh. kaiju story. Really? I mean, the problem, Why would you swap yeah, artists? Because the other guy quit because he hated working for Avatar so much. So oh, okay. the thing about it is, is that... I swear some of this would be better just as a portfolio. You know, yeah. like... It's looking artwork. It's beautiful black and white artwork. I mean, the detail on the Gabriel Andrade guy is just fucking outstanding. 
you know, just his line work that he does, even when it's a shitty panel, like on the ant thing. I but know. I will say yeah. there is no uh, Civil War history for Max Brooks this issue, which, you know, thank Jesus, because <laughs> I was so sick of him pretending like this was a good, you know, uh, pretentious comic strip. But anyway, um, you know, of course it's worth reading because it's Alan Moore doing something, but it's not like the Kong issue, the Sun, the, the yeah, Willis O'Brien so issue. Disposable, disposable overall. Yeah, I mean we're you know we're we're into the era of disposable Alan Moore, and we never thought we'd get there again after uh, ABC. Yeah, yeah, that's too bad. Well, even but at the same up. time, at the same time, you can't dismiss Cinema Purgatorio. Well, you still like, got to pay seven bucks for it too. Don't forget six ninety nine is its retail. If they it's fucking do a trade of the Alan Moore Kevin O'Neill thing, they're fuckers. What's that mean? Well, you know that's going to well, happen. Think about it. Well, right, but just think about that. They're forcing you to pay eight bucks for all these backups. You know they don't pay shit for, right? No, yeah, yeah. I'm sure they're coming out. Yeah, they're coming out ahead. Yeah, so they're coming out ahead. And then, like, what, next, you know, 2018, they got a fucking $50 Alan Moore, Kevin O'Neill, Cinema Purgatorio. No, you got to suffer through all that other shit. You got to look. The abyss in the eye and say, I'm going to read modded for fuck's sake. All right. So what do we got? One, two, three, four, five stories. So it's a buck, buck 40 a story, evidently. So still kind of high. <laughs> yeah. 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 So maybe, wait, you know what? It might be better to wait for the trade. And it just it would it. be at this point. I yeah. mean, but yeah. So, okay, so the list is a little weird now because we try to alternate on things that I have definitely read or I have definitely not read. But next up, we have something that I have definitely read. Ed Vernon has definitely it. read. You read it. I read Motor Crush. <clears throat> Let's talk about Motor Crush. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm almost done, I got to say. I'm almost done with Motor Crush. Well, it's it's become... Uh, what do you call that? Surprisingly conventional. Like they're not quite mm-hmm. sure where it's going to go, or they're trying to pad it out a bit. But uh, <clears throat> and the latest issue has the bike becoming an animated uh, thing, which is really odd. So it's going to have to tie up some of its loose ends soon to keep me interested. Um, that said, still comp- competently executed. A little fast, not quite as inventive as prior issues. You can tell they're working with more of a deadline because a lot of the panels look conventional. And we've lost quite a bit of the um, we call that social media. action. Yeah, yeah, the the social media stuff too. Well, yeah, is, is, I mean the, yeah. the the pace of it. Yeah, they actually have this scene where the the annoying uh, video bot gets broken, so they can't go on social media, and it's like a plot point, but it wasn't in the story before that. So a lot's changed about the book but it's the thing that pissed me off the most was just that Babs Tars proven really good at motion right okay. she's really good at action scenes she's better on action scenes on this than she was on Batgirl and she was going off of Cameron Stewart action pencils right yeah, so that's probably really good you know Mm-hmm. And they don't give her shit to do this issue. A chase scene? No. 
well, they introduce a lot of things like she might not be human, you know, or something like that or whatever. And I'm like, well, you're adding more to the plot. I think, yeah. And, so, yeah. They got to slow down a little bit and resolve some of the stuff. So I'm, I'm going to finish off the arc. But it's, you know, it had such promise at the beginning that I really enjoyed it, you know. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, what are you going to do? Uh, I don't know. Motor Crush, yeah, there are worse books out there, I guess. Still, it was very, it's like when you, you get enthusiastic on something and then it, like, it pales. Like, there's a little vinegar in that fourth issue that really makes me like, oh, I got to get through it, you know. <laughs> and that's kind of the weird thing is, is I would say before... The year, hold on. I will actually give you a year. I will make up a year. Hold on. Make up a year. Make up a year. <clears throat> I will say that before late 1999, you could trust the four to five issue to six issue limited series. Yeah. Yeah, because more, more of it would be mapped out. I mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of them do one or two issues, and then they get called to the plate, and they have to finish, and they haven't right. finished. But back in the back when they had to have the whole package ready to go, I feel like there was more consistency, and they were more sort of trustworthy. But yeah. I mean, you don't really think about it now because if we, you know, in a lot of ways, most people who read Motor Crush are going to read it in the trade. Maybe uh, you got to sell the floppies. You don't have to sell floppies, but you got to generate income on floppies. You do have to. You have to generate the income on the floppies. But I just I can't believe that such a. Well, I don't well, know. Also, you know well, what? They also have to introduce the concept into the comics field as well. You're not just dropping uh, stories on the market. You're introducing them as chapters, and it gives I think a book time to uh, get publicity and gain momentum. Mm-hmm. For reading, you know, whereas if you just dropped it as a trade, it'd be more of an uphill battle to get uh, publicity unless it were you were lucky and it was great or something like that, mm-hmm. you know. It, even then, there's a lot of great books that don't get any publicity at all and fall through the cracks, sadly enough. Ten years ago, we were able to track this by movie uh, options, but not so much anymore. <laughs> not at all. Even what, 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 what's that, what your, your Quantum and Woody just got the TV thing, right? Something. I, I saw something about it, but I didn't pay any attention. Yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, oh, so, Yeah. The uh, motocross gets motor- a penny. You, you finish the arc if you've already started it. I think that would be the only recommendation I could see. Let's see what happens. Yeah. Yeah, all right. Uh, why not another- Why not keep going on motocross? Like, just well, one right, more. Right. One more. One more, yeah, exactly. It's almost done. Uh, lady Killer. Uh, oh, man, uh, the young lady, uh, Joelle Jones, who's drawing that Supergirl book you've read. Uh, which shall not be named right now. Uh, anyway, it gets her home spun all, all uh, art writers. Here's another was artist writer. Now she's a little light in the writing department, obviously. A lot of artists are. But, man, Lady Killer gets to me, like, probably best eye candy book. Like, as an artist, when you get really standing uh, stuff and she's able to let it rip in this book and the way she can't in Supergirl as far as, like, violence and all sorts of stuff, you know, pelvic bodies and all that kind of stuff and violence. and It's just an absolute stunning tour de force of drawing. And the young lady's just kicking my butt looking at all this stuff right now. She's got all of her influences uh, perfectly 
laid within the framework, and I think this is like the best stuff I've ever seen by her before. So, Art Wanks Rejoice, Lady Killer Issue 4 is your book. Viva love Joelle Jones. She's uh, she's putting the boys uh, at bask with this one, I tell you. No longer a man's world, kids. Right? Vernon's not that excited about any dude-drawn books right now for the art. Mm, well, no, you can't say that. Um, what do we got? We got one coming up. Ether, I like. That's David Rubin. Oh, I like okay. That's true. All right. Yeah, so anyway, before Ether, before yeah. Ether, we're going to talk about Copperhead, which is back. Yay. After a hiatus. Yay. Yeah, uh, yeah. A mutual a mutual friend or acquaintance of ours, uh, one of Vern's customers who we're Facebook friends with, uh, he he posted something like, Yay, Copperhead's back! And I'm just like, it was the first thing I saw on Facebook that morning, and it is the first Copperhead since October of 2015. It's been that long, and it hasn't seemed like it, just because, like, so much positive Copperhead. Yeah, Um, right, yeah, it held up, it held its uh, attention span, that's for sure. And um, it's got a new artist, a guy named Drew Moss, who is a lot more movement-oriented than the last guy, which is cool, um, because it gives the book a little bit different of a feel while it still has the same details. It's another yeah, quick intro issue. I mean, it, it's a quick setup issue for the arc, and um, it's just it's awesome to have it back. <clears throat> I don't... I um, Copperhead was a really surprising series just because not only had we sort of not been following Jay Faber's career for 15 years, but um, he, he really turned sort of traditional sort of genre tropes um, he sort of did them straight and sort of made them work. It's just, it's just, it was just a really cool book and it's nice to have it back. Yeah. There's not, like I say, it's another one of those books where there's not like a lot of original concepts, but the way they're executed is original. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got a really nice new slant and it, even the new artist, Mr. Moss has a, a distinctly different approach than Mr. Goblinski. I think his name was, mm-hmm. uh, but they both fit into the same visual ballet of movement that the first series had you know what i mean the movement mm-hmm. the, the movement of the panels they're both very similar artists in, in goals but they have different approaches and it was really sweet to see the book hit the ground running again you know where yeah. in a comic industry you breathe a sigh of relief when you want something to be good and it's actually good you know <laughs> <laughs> okay so now you're going to talk about ether <clears throat> ether ether's a is a book um matt kent again and he manages to get this like warrior guy, or he's actually not really a warrior. He's a, uh, a scholar that goes into another dimension and has to help them with fighting crimes or solving mysteries. And he's an earth man. And the first arc involves telling you about the whole process that made him into this situation and the latest crime that threatens to unravel everything, which is a pretty good way to lead off a series. It's, it's again, it's standard way, but it's pretty good. And David Rubin's art just carries Matt Kent's imagination quite nicely. Um, David Rubin is a very visually distinctive artist. He doesn't change his style for different genres like some artists do. He pretty much just keeps his own 
vision going throughout any book he draws. It's very similar artwork if you've ever had a chance to experience him. And he seems to fit, make every project fit his style. And Ether is a really sweet book. So far, like I said, we've got one more to go. There's five, and I think the first arc ends in six. But the whole uh, – Matt Kitt found – Kent found a perfect uh, artist to uh, work his vision about this guy and his battle to save it all. And uh, there's a lot of good subplots as well. He's got a lot of visual invention in all the demons and devices and things that are used in the different dimensions and the coins and all the bullshit. And uh, the coloring, I'm trying to think, who's doing the colors? We've got to give them credit too. Uh, it might be it might be art and lettering, so maybe it is David Rubin again. So does the guy do his own colors? If not, he's insane. But uh, The Ether is a great book if you like intellectual fantasy. Like one good thing about the characters, he doesn't believe in magic. He goes, there's an explanation for everything. And that's his thing. And that's how he approaches these things. And I don't know, great stuff. I mean, uh, I don't know. You're not a big fantasy man, but Ether might, might pull it off. And I'll let you know if it does. Last two issues, four and five, have been great. Uh, Ruben's great anyway. Anyway. What's that? Everything's great. Yeah, right. David Rubin is great. I love the Ruby. Thank you. Rubaloo. Uh, so War Stories, uh, which I just added to the list because we'd forgotten that he finished an arc. And he finished he uh, four. Four. Holy shit, he had a story to tell. He did, and I'm, I'm still convinced that it was a story he intended for a better war comic anthology and not Avatar's war stories. Uh, but at the same time, uh, it all came together, it came through, and it's the first time war stories has um, sort of fulfilled on the promise since Back the in first the day, arc, yeah. the second arc. Like, it's been a long time. Has it ever well, at Avatar? You know, that was the thing, because Avatar hires a lot of, like, really nice people, I'm sure, who are beginning artists overseas or maybe newer narrative artists. And uh, I'm sure that they they pay something, but it's a place in America to get your artwork shown and printed and exhibited, which I'm sure a lot of amateur or, should we say, at professional, semi-level take advantage. Mm. And so does Avatar by hiring these people. So that's what you get on War Stories, which is a book that sells – 4,000 copies, maybe, you know, so it's got a budget, you know, and Garth is probably doing it for piecemeal as well. I can't imagine him getting any money out of these scripts. Kind of like Alan Moore on Cinema Purgatorio. Maybe they cut Alan a slightly bigger check. Well, it's Avatar again, right? Like, Yeah, it's, well, it's the place that does anything, okay? We'll do any script, okay? We'll find somebody to draw it. You know, don't worry about it. So, so how did the arc finish up on War Stories? Four issues. Did he, how did it go? Worked out. It, um, yeah. I want to read it again. The first time I can say that about one of those. Uh, I want, yeah, it's, um, in a lot of ways, it was the most sort of predictable, what you would say would be a Garth Ennis war story. It's British Flyers. And, um, it's one of his favorites, yes. But he's never done it quite like that. Never protecting Britain uh, before the war, before the Americans got into the war. It, it feels like a BBC series, frankly. 
Wow, that's that's high praise indeed for a comic mm-hmm. book. And I feel, and you know, it's just, um, yeah, he's got subplots for his principal supporting cast. He's got all sorts of stuff, and it's just, it's so nice to uh, to finally see the book sort of pay off because it's been a frustrating. Okay, so it's issue 22, which means that arc started on 19. It's been a frustrating 15 issues of war stories. You know, it's been a frustrating five. What? I mean, there was one point where I was like, has war stories come out lately? And you were like, man, I stopped telling you what war stories is coming out because I figured you weren't going <laughs> to read it. I get shit it. for that. I get shit like, for that. I figured you were going to give up. And that, that was actually issue 19. And then well, I read it, I was like, I found the one subscriber. it's good. And you're like, nobody fucking ordered it at the shop. I can't read it. Like, I, I can't order to read good. it. I'm sorry. i got to have at least one subscriber to, right. so I can read like, it. What do you mean there's a good more <laughs> stories that I should be reading? So, I mean, yeah. it's just nice because cause Garth hit, Garth had a good year a couple of years ago. He had a really good year. And I mean, in some ways, that's how you sort of think of, that's how we've been thinking about guys. Certainly since we've been doing the podcast. That, you know, Ed Brubaker has a good year this year. Right. Garth Ennis has a good year this year, right? Right. Like Alan Moore, what, two years ago when he did Crossed plus 100 and started Providence? Like, you can't top that, right? Like, that's, nah, you that, really like, can't, no. No. Like for fucking Avatar, for Christ's sake, for Crossed, right? <laughs> like, here's a book that Garth Ennis sold the first 12 issues on by by literally tearing open your chest and sort of, like, fucking with your, you know, internal organs yeah. going, oh, that's going to hurt, isn't it? Oh, I'm going to make I'm gonna make you care. Like, it was like an episode, it was a good episode of ER, right? Like, Garth yeah, yeah. could write apocalyptic ER. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's just so, it's like Alan Moore doing that. And so, just this idea, and I, I feel like it's gotten sort of standard, you know. During the first years of Profit, we would think of Brandon Graham as having a really good year, right? Right. Oh, I was starting to give creator of the year in that first yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, And now it's like... We don't really get to do that anymore because it's like Garth Ennis is doing war stories and it's fallen through the cracks. Right, and, right. and uh, Code Prue and what else? Occasionals from Marvel yeah, and DC. He he's, did doing, the, he's doing work for them. Yeah, he did parody work for a, six, a four or six issue mini with Hellblazer and what's his name, the dog welder from the Hitman series, the the villain Six Pack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and nicely drawn by Russ Braun, though. <laughs> right, like, and he gets to work with Russ Braun yeah. again, who did all the great yeah, work. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like, it's just, it feels like a lot of these guys are getting older. And they're um, they're doing different work. Um, but let's get off that, because we're not actually talking about Kill or Be Killed. <laughs> but we might be talking about someone involved in it a little bit later, depending on my mood. So we're going to move on to Slam, which uh, I think That's I decided my... I'm going to wait till the trade to read. I can't blame you. It, 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 it faltered a bit in three, but it picked it up in the latest issue four. It's a, it's a grand little book. 
Let me see if I can get the creators' names correctly. It's a miniseries from uh, Boom. Um, Pamela Ribbon and uh, Veronica Fish, who's making the rounds, is another hot female cartoonist. She's worked at Archie. She's done what she do at Marvel. Uh, she did a couple of superhero books or something over there. So she's all over the place. This is a current miniseries that she's jumped on, probably done by now, about women's roller derby. And it is done with the internal honesty of a really second level like Archie series where the characters are all fully fleshed out to some degree and they're all visually different and they're all learning about, you know, they have a curiosity to the league and how they get introduced to roller derby and how some of them get involved and, and the trials and tribulations and the physicality of actually trying to try and get on the team and what's expected to you. And then on the latest issue, you get the very first round where some of, the, some of the people are actually on the court for the first time. So it took four issues to do that. So it's pretty detailed. And uh, Veronica Fish uh, illustrates it all with a real energetic verve and a real sympathy towards girls. I, I really get a kick out of it because some of the girls here are as tough as guys and some of them are girly girls, but they're all roller derby people. And I think I uh, broke out the Kleenex at the end of the issue. Uh, it's big, big old, old, uh, old say, oh, man, what a great ending. So this book about all the girls that uh, work into uh, roller derby and get into it, and it's just real wholesome and positive. It's like a good drug, you know. You got you want. <laughs> I, I, yeah, the latest issue of Slam is here. I gotta read it, man. Give me that. And uh, anyway, that's how I feel about the book. It gets a high thumbs up. Four issues in, I'm like, God, if this thing is a great trade, I'm gonna push the shit out of it. I swear right. to God. <clears throat> All right, you can have the next girly girl book with my current favorite female artist. Yes, yeah, so Supergirl being super number two. Um, it's not quite number two, but it's, uh, <sighs> the first issue really impressed me because it's DC trying to appeal to, I'd say the Supergirl TV market without doing a, or attempting to ape the TV show. Good point. Second issue is what I think, I imagine, I dread that show Smallville was like. It's um, it's just kind of this. There's all these suspicions about family members. There's all these uh, unrevealed secrets. Basically, Superman's been captured by uh, the government and Supergirl's going to save him at the end, I think, is what's implied. Uh, oh, no, this is the grief from her friend's death. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's a double-sized issue, Vern. They got time for the, the grief and the uh, C-plot about the gym teacher keeping tabs on the entire gym team. Oh, and okay. we're not even getting into the tragedy element that he just mentioned, which is that it's, um, it's a, it's a very tragic melodramatic issue. It's a wall to wall grief. Yeah. And it just is not there. The writer has nothing insightful to say about this. She's, she runs away from the character. Well, in a way yeah. that, it, we, we in a way that. that you can't. Honestly, I would say, 
you can't do ever, right? But it pissed me off more because <clears throat> if this is the comic you're supposed to read if you like the Supergirl TV show, that's no. not something the character on TV does. That's one of the defining traits is is that sort of emotional responsibility. And by that, I don't mean of the character. I mean of the show to the character. They're they're responsible for how they, you know, handle the emotions of the characters. The comic doesn't do that at all. It just, like, turns it into this sort of, like, <clears throat> preview for an after-school special. Uh, With nice I art. I mean, Joel Jones's art's nice. Oh, yeah, right. Still only half as detailed as it is in Lady Killer. But that said, um, yeah, it's definitely like a grief issue. She shows her how, what do you call it? She's not like the all-being-powerful character. You know, when she has to let a friend die, she can't save. And so Tamaki goes the route of grief to, like, subject her to, like, being maybe on a more even playing field with us mere humans. But it took over the whole book. And that was, yeah. she got the point across, but it took over, like, the last two-third book. And it really set, now maybe I'm wrong, maybe perhaps the Supergirl TV show has set me on weird expectations about what a Supergirl story should be, maybe at this particular point in time. Right. Um, you can do, like, a Supergirl being super story, but, but the first issue lead in and then this was kind of like it really took a 90 degree turn or maybe even a 180 degree turn for her. And it kind of seems like the wrong place to introduce like the stages of grief. You know, it's a weird thing. Can she come back? Because we only have one more issue. And I'm wondering, well, what's the what? point now? It's only it's, three? I think so. I think it's only three. I thought it was four. Well, it could be four, but it ain't forever. You know, well, I know it ain't forever, but if it's three, they're fucked. <laughs> right, because there was, like, no plot development in two. It was, like, if you wanted to have a grief issue, like, in a regular series, if you'd set Supergirl up with a bestest friend, not just one issue, but the whole right, series. You've got, you got nine issues before you kill that person off. Right, right, but, exactly. I mean, not anymore. Now you got two, but still. Right, well, back in the day, you had nine issues. If this story were a part of a later arc down the road where you actually got introduced to this character and had and more you sympathy. Gave a you know, shit, right. Instead, um, maybe we're just dudes. Yeah. yeah, that could be. We could be just hard ass pricks out of No, I the problem with it is is that it's it's very concerning with DC right now and with Marvel, and maybe we'll get touch on this a little bit later that the sort of preservers of their intellectual properties are not so much the comic book editors, but the fucking TV producers. Well, yeah, we certainly suspected that with the first issue. But, <laughs> but then it strayed from its premise by the second issue. All right, what I'm saying is, is the DC editors can't do Supergirl as well as the fucking CW can. Well, yeah. Well, that said, it, like I said... I didn't find it abhorrent. I just thought it was no, weird. No, no, When you only just... have a three or four issue arc to focus two thirds of an issue on this right. plot, don't you know? don't waste time. Like, make it right. worth it. If you're going to do grief, 
at least be like that annoying fucker John Ponticello or whatever his name is, you know? Like, just just make it miserable. But anyway, so... She's pretty miserable. She's eating Cheerios. We're going to flip to Vernon actually having something nice to say about an ongoing superhero book from DC Comics. They, They exist. What's the name of it? New Superman. Right. They have a space between super and man now, just so you know. Anyway, you have to keep you have to Google it up that way. Anyway, this is the best, probably the most neglected, I don't know, maybe a little higher than Superwoman, but this thing, this creation by Jean Luen Yang and artist Victor Bogdanovic. Hope I got his name right. Um, about the, the Chinese Superman and the two other members of the miniature Justice League that their car- compartmentalized section of Chinese security made is a response to the quote-unquote Chinese Justice League America that already exists like in the 80s or 90s mythology. You might be familiar with some Chinese Justice League thing. I'm afraid I'm lost on that one. But apparently they were made in response to it because – I guess it's a thing where Chinese elements feud against one another for government favor or whatever. So that's how these guys got made. But it's all tongue-in-cheek. It's all funny. It all has a very Asian slant to it. And uh, Bogdanovic's artwork is certainly very good. The variant covers by Bernard Chang are a scream. Some of them are homages to old Superman and Jimmy Olsen covers. <laughs> and, um, oh, yeah. And, the, and not the latest issue, but the one before that, the final splash page, was a visual triumphant of taking you on a roller coaster and splashing you into the end to, to the point where you want to read that next issue tomorrow if it comes out. So it, 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 it's been a fun thing. We're going to get the trade pretty soon, and I, I can't recommend it enough. It's probably one of the most better constructed multi-layered superhero stories and it's all tongue-in-cheek and it's all fun so it, it, it reminds you a little bit of chinese manga but it's not so harsh you know um good stuff man new superman i i hope that this book goes on forever because i will read it i don't read batman but i read this so superman get it from your clerk say hey man carry that trade i want that trade if you don't i'll beat your ass <laughs> yes, everyone, that's Vern's uh, suggestion for how you deal with your local comic book shop. That's right. Don't Except his. <clears throat> hey, we got one more i got to mention real quick. And I know that you're a big fan of Warren more. Ellis. So, oh, huh? that's right. And we got to mention Warren Ellis. You know, speaking of a book that's back, like Copperhead, Injection came back. So I'm happy to say that him and Declan Shelby keep up the quality of the book. And we haven't missed a beat. Now, the only problem is keeping Warren Ellis on a book on a regular schedule so that we can remember what the fuck happened to the issue before. He's got a good artist. Don't blow it, okay? Just because you got a book at Wildstorm. All right? So get this book out there. It's good. Keep going. All right. On to the trade department. We got two trades this, this time around, Binky, right? Two trades that I actually read. Yeah. Um, Lake of Fire yeah. by... Um... And like I know this bike. one. I know this one. I don't know either of the guys. So I Nathaniel I... Fairburn and yeah. um, Matt Smith. Matt Smith. Do I know Matt yeah. Smith though? Anyway, um, Lake of Fire is from. No, I don't know him from anything else. So it is from. Who put this out? 
Uh, it's from Image, Image, but honestly, it feels like a good Oni book. It does. It does. It doesn't. Yeah, it's not an Image book. Yeah. It's got this uh, sort of loose, sort of Brian Hurty style. Matt Smith uh, could definitely fill in for Brian Hurt on something. Which is to say it's um, light on certain de- – it's light on detail but not – You know what this well, guy could have done? He could have done some uh, Hellboy tie-in stuff over at Dark Horse. This would not, that was perfect. That's where I think I've seen him before. You know, maybe I'm wrong. But it's this uh it's this book about these um it's knights versus aliens basically. Yeah. <clears throat> With uh English crusaders, right? Uh French crusaders. French crusaders. Uh thrown in with sort of 21st century uh, attention to historical detail in that the knight and his squire are moron bros. The little, not the squire, his sidekick is probably a little gay for him, whatever. Uh, yeah, the girl, <clears throat> I actually wish that they'd just done that. Like, the whole kissing thing, it got very confused. Because then they have this girl who's a different religion, so. Or right, she's got all different... sorts of connotations that you don't really need in the uh, later story. Yeah, and it's just like this, it's this big setup, and then it just turns into this action book for three issues. Yeah. So, you know, it's well, got a lot of good nice twists and turns. Yeah. But, you know, well-executed stuff, though. Yeah. Uh, Five-issue mini collected into a trade form now, and I, I, I used to say to my customers, if, like, Roger Corman did... French Crusaders versus Aliens, this would be a good movie for it. It's very subtle, right. but it's very violent, and it's kind of graceful, too, in its own way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Matt Smith is, uh, does some, some very nice art on that. Uh, yeah. The next trade is Demonic. Also that's another image. image. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, they're both, uh, they're both, they're both uh, image trades this uh, last couple of weeks, anyway. And this is what, Demonic is six issues. I think uh, Ring of Fire was just five, but Demonic yeah. is six. And uh, Demonic, it, what do you call that? It kind of, I think it's more successful than Ed Brubaker's Kill or Be Killed just because it runs six issues and it's done. At least I'm thinking it's done. I could be well, wrong. But... it also has, it's also a more sort of playful book than Brubaker's um, Kill or Be Killed. It's uh, it's very visually active for one thing. Yeah, it is. Who is the guy who does that? Um, Nico Walter. Yeah, Nico Walter. I mean, that's what half the book is. Is it's like. So I mean, I just read the trade, but. So it's six issues, and basically every two issues, are a two-parter. Right, like okay, yeah, that's, that one seems two, one two, one two. Yeah, like punches. and the thing that really ties it together is Walter's art because he'll do a visual style in the first issue that he returns to in say the fourth issue, and it's a similar visual style, but he's applying it to a different usage. In the in, you know, in the first issue, it's about. Uh, police investigation or something and they're like the daredevil scene when you see crime going on in little panels around you 
But in the fourth issue, it's about it. It's it's during a conversation, something like that. So it's just it's just an interesting book in that Walter had so much energy for this story. Yeah, it's almost like uh, Sabella, the Christopher Sabella, the writer, was tailoring the story to meet the artist's strengths to some degree because. There's like these scenes where he has all these visual techniques that he uses for narrative and page layout right. and pan formats. And, and they all kind of just – they're like a big crazy quilt of this guy and his relationship with a demon who compels him to kill. He's a cop, by the way. Again, old stuff, but it's all in the execution. And these guys were fairly right. successful. They keep me getting – at one point, I'm looking at one of the later scenes with the demon in him. Talk, facing off, kind of look, talking to each other, and there's like a great amount of curvy dots all over this thing, and I'm just looking at all the visual things, and I'm like, God, this is this is a nice mix because visually he sells the package, and the artist or the writer doesn't have to come up with, again, doesn't have to reinvent the wheel, just has to get a, a reasonable plot throughout it anyway. It's right. good stuff. And I mean, demonic. That's, yeah, and that's, yeah. that's sort of the nice... Um, We didn't have good, mediocrely written books five years right. ago. Yeah, exactly. You, know, like, exactly. You, you, if you wanted to see somebody of uh, Sean Murphy's caliber, you had to read a Scott Snyder book. It wasn't worth it. Like, yeah. let's be uh, real. Like, um. Anyway, yeah these these two treat these two uh, collections, Lake of Fire and Demonic, are really nice stuff and good good support of independence. So if you like good genre material, these are these are nicely executed and very recommended by both of us anyway. Especially at like fourteen and seventeen dollars. That's pretty good for that stuff. Anyway, I'm gonna do a quick rant. A lot of my customers don't don't like and I've been very good about not nailing DC and Marvel, but we're kinda of at a crucial point now where I really gotta talk about this and get it off my chest and I hope you don't mind too much, but uh while I have my ups and downs at Marvel and DC, Marvel has really hit some new lows in the last year of publishing, and I'm not sure whether it's the lack of uh, or guidance or leadership or whatever it is, or, or they have a set of plans for their way they handle publishing that relate to their various media developments or what have you that they wanted to go on with. But, God, the uh, really uninspired comic book publishing that's been going on and what's really unique about it is, 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 is we complain about this a lot, like how Marvel and DC have like such resources. And DC still does a little bit of it. Marvel does almost zero of outreach type stuff that, that pushes the boundaries. And they have not let up on their onslaught of product and at the same time turned it into such dispensable drudge that it's just it's it, you might as well just call it wall insulation instead of New Comics Wednesday for these guys because it's pretty rough stuff and their numbers are falling by the month. The only reason they stay ahead is they do overships and rig the numbers or whatever. But they have so much money and expertise and resources. You're like, God, you guys, just take it by the horns and let's do something. This is not just <laughs> this is just not standing in place or riding a bicycle for exercise. Let's let's do something with this. You know, it's very tragic. And I'll get to the point: is that it's it's going to have it's already started to have financial repercussions. Um, I'm sure a lot of dealers weren't particularly happy with the holiday season unless you're in the middle of a tourist mall or something like that. But even then, I'm sure that even they could uh, co-testify uh, co that it wasn't the best of holiday seasons. Now, as a retailer, I don't 
ever rely on holiday seasons. I think those are shrinking. They have been for many years, and they're going to continue to do so. As people wake up and realize that the real reason of holidays is to spend time with people you love and enjoy your life, not presents or garbage. But until then, comic book retailers will always preach the opposite because they we have a lot of things to sell you, of course. But that said, uh, Marvel is just putting out the worst comic books with the most resources available. And it is truly astounding that their output just can't generate any incitement, excitement at all in our industry. And a lot of retailers are hurting by it because Marvel's number one or they were number one, or they still are by nose over the water. Um, and when retailers lose out at number one, well, that, 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 that still is a percentage of their sales that hurts. So uh, we've heard this uh, reverbed in the industry, but always support your dealer if you like comics. Clean up your files, pick up your shit, as we say in the industry. Whatever it takes to throw five bucks in that guy's pocket because he's, he's, his suppliers, his two main suppliers that have 70% of the industry are dishing sacks of shit to him every Wednesday. He's got to call comic books and sell to you. So have some sympathy. But <clears> in the meantime, Marvel, get your shit together and give us some product. Otherwise, we're going to go bye bye But maybe that's the plan. I don't know. Anyway, I'm done. Let's talk about something more pleasant like TV and media. <laughs> <laughs> well, Unless yeah, you got but play, I don't right, know. So, uh, you got a rebuttal? If not, we can move on. I'm good. I'm ranted. I'm I'm I'm, I'm done. I've soiled well, my I dime. mean, I feel like the the frustrating thing about Marvel is, is that they do have excitement. There's that America series. I've seen a lot about that. They can generate heat. And so, but the problem is, is then they still fall back on their sort of crossover events. And Spider Man twenty five was nine ninety nine this week. Well, okay. <clears throat> and Dan Slot is still writing it. Yeah, as, as like everyone who once upon a time wished that Dan Slot would write a Spider Man monthly. Those days are over. I was wrong. Uh, I'm sorry. And can this nightmare end? Well, you know, he's indicative of the problems at Marvel. How long has he been writing Spider-Man for? Ten fucking years? 2017? Nine or ten? Yeah. Who gets that kind of jurisdiction on a character for that long? You know, even Bendis moves around like a good Indian. I mean... <sighs> he was on it for five... I mean, I think it's just because they're just churning, you know? Like, they don't have the license, yeah. but they still have to put them out. And they can't do anything with it. They fucked up Ultimate Spider-Man. They fucked up the Ultimate Universe. They had... Marvel had the license to print retro-futuristic money. And they fucked yes. that up. They let Mark Miller fuck that up for them. And they and they would get, they would kill for those kind of numbers now. Oh, they would. Oh, can you even imagine what they do for Ultimates too? Oh, sells better than anything else we got, except for the Star Wars comics. Right. So I mean, it's just like yeah. So they, I mean, DC. The, the sort of funny thing about the big two is is that they have totally different sets of problems. 
where Marvel's problems are maybe a little bit more recent. Last year. Well, I mean, just in general, the trend of Marvel losing sight of how to sell comics. You could say the seeds were planted a year ago and it grew to a title. Right, but what I'm saying is with DC, we're on like... Jeanette Khan's last day was when DC started like spiraling. So it's just very different. Um, So I guess just we are at a time when there the shittiest indie comic is better than every comic that an indie publisher put out in 1988. Just you know? There's all the books that we mentioned on our podcast today are better than fifty percent plus of Marvel or DC. Right? Line. I mean that you know, there's that too. Like it is a. I don't actually mean that. I don't actually mean that every comic from indie comic from 1988 was shitty, but a lot of them were. Um, oh yeah. But anyway, so. Yeah, it's just it's just a weird time, and it's it it's been getting weirder, and it just it very much seems like Marvel doesn't know how to capitalize on their movie success, their TV success, or the fact that they're a wing of Disney. They can't yeah. do any of those things. Why isn't there a Jessica Jones comic? That people actually fucking like out right now. Okay. isn't writing, but that's not going to happen. Right. Exactly. It's Marvel is sticking with these things that are not. And these guys, these guys are selling all those fucking Star Wars books, promising that they're in continuity, right? The new canon. Right, the new canon. So if Darth Vader fucking farts in Darth Vader 7, you know in Rogue One 2, he'll be like, does everybody remember that time I farted on the Ewok? That is stupid. It's like the saddest... You know, it's like they're, they're operating with IDW level of like sort of like bullshit with continuity and stuff, right? They could do that with the fucking movies. They did that a few years ago. Remember that Loki Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. book? Then you're yes. reading it and you're like, why are all the Avengers exactly like they are in the movie and they look like that? And it, yeah. Loki yeah. looks like Tom Hiddleston. It's just like they knew how to do this and then and then, well, DC does that also. When you get right. a hit, they just do it. The, the, their, their new Flash title is all but unreadable because it sticks so closely to the TV continuity that you're like, ugh, you know? I'm like, I can't deal with this. This isn't the comic, you know? Well, that, that whole that, to that whole point, you know, you're like, well, what does it matter what comics do to Disney or Warner Brothers? Their audience is so small. Right. That as long as they don't embarrass yeah. their corporate man- masters, what do they give a shit what they publish? Right. You know? Which is how DC operated for many years. Right. You just, you know, some guy from Warner Brothers sits down ahead of DC, don't embarrass me, but you can do what you want as long as it sells and makes money. That's my yeah. only edict. 
And that was on the other hand, point. they were actually sitting down and going, hey, so we're going to fuck Alan Moore out of Watchmen. Did you know that? Did you know we're having a secret meeting to fuck Alan Moore out of Watchmen? We're going to do that. So anyway, I mean, there is that. There is that thing that they, they had a secret fucking meeting where they decided to fuck Alan Moore out of Watchmen. Well, don't forget, we've got the new lenticular button story coming out in another month or so or two. I don't know when it comes out. Where the I, don't, I don't read about that shit. I don't want to fucking know. Like, Well, Batman and Flash know about the existence of a button that transmuted itself in our dimension. And guess whose button it was? Well, I can't even imagine, because you know what yeah. I want to read? And I it still read. has a blood stain on it. I want to read Watchmen Meets Kid Flash, written by Jeff Johns. Woo! I mean, like, what well, the fuck? I will be glad. And he moved out of the comics and into the overall development of whatever the fuck it was. Because at least, well, we gotta get we gotta get him, the him to get him out of the comics, you know. Well, hold on, that, that, that relates to our next subject. So, on our best of twenty sixteen, we did not talk about TV and movies. Um, so we're gonna do that really quick, and then we're gonna talk about TV, movies, and whatnot in general. So, 2016, uh, did you like Batman versus Superman? Uh, I got through it. Uh, I thought it was visually okay. Wonder Woman was the best thing about it, and I'm waiting for a Wonder Woman movie. Other than that, I couldn't recommend it. Did you see Suicide Squad? Yes, I did. The uh, first half was okay. second half just went to shit. Uh, Will Smith was uh, much better than I thought he'd be. Uh, what else came out last year? Uh, Captain America 3. Did you see that? No. I didn't see the new Avengers movie, and I didn't see... I saw Doctor Strange. There. Cool. Doctor Strange came out last year. That was fine. You know, they, they're very respectful of the source material to some degree. They upped the ante with their female and uh, general Asian people. They don't want to make Chinese people mad, so, like, nobody is Tibetan anymore. And they're all kind of like generic Chinese people now. But it was good visual effects, and I was convinced that they were true to the legend of Doctor Strange. Even though I like Wong at the end, his motivation pissed me off. But that's just me. Um, okay, and then we got TV. Uh, Luke Cage. My favorite series from Netflix so go. far. I want to be, be Luke Cage. That's all it says at all. There you go. Uh, the, the CW ones. Vern's favorite show is Arrow. He's going to talk to us about oh, Arrow for you, 35 Arrow. minutes. Scare <laughs> him off, will you? No, I never watch Arrow. Felicity's the best thing about the Arrow, and I like it. The only time I see her is when she crosses over with Flash. Right. Uh, you know something? I still watch all the CW shows except for Arrow. Yep. Supergirl is so stupid. I love it. And the Legends is all right. And the um, Flash is convoluted. Okay, here, let me ask you a quick question. Oh, now we're getting into this year's, but you're talking about 2016. Whatever, so it's I, fine. It's fine. We're going to talk about fine. this year's. Who do, you who, who do you think Savitar is? <sighs> I'm thinking it's a future Barry. Everybody's saying that, but I don't know if they can get away with it. Maybe they can. Who knows? Yeah, they can reinvent the Earth, I know. I don't know. Maybe they can get away with it, but it's going to be kind of hard. Um, Obviously, you've given a lot of thought to it. I actually was thinking maybe future Wally. Because Wally did get thrown under the bus. 
<laughs> future Eddie from another Earth or the Flashpoint Eddie Thorne. Well, they, but they can't pull in a character from out of nowhere unless it's established within the storylines of what they're talking about. Uh, I mean, you can't you can't keep pulling these characters into the end to save your bacon if we don't have some sympathy for their situation coming true. into it. You know, I oh, think you actually will find yeah. out who Savitar is within the next three episodes. Well, it won't be the next one because they got that god awful idea where they're going to do a musical episode. Oh, back. it's going to be fucking great! You shut your mouth. All right, now, it's going to be better than La La Land. I'm sure of that. All right. So, speaking of movies, uh, Logan. Did Vernon see Logan? Not yet. No, dying to haven't yet. Everything I've heard about the movie is. It's positive, although it's a downer. <laughs> well, what? Is it a movie? What was it? Is it a movie that could exist without its superhero trappings? No. I, not really, no. There's a lot of fantastic shit that goes on in the thing. Well, what is it? It's kind of, is it noirish or is it just feeble revisionism? Talk to me, Bubba. You can be honest. You saw it. I didn't. I know your wife was oogling over what's his name's loins. Yeah, but I mean, it's all that right. Could it's you. never you as good as it should be. I mean, right. basically, well, it's never as good as it should be. Never. It's scared of being an X Men movie, which really fucks it up. Which it's actually last movie. Right. It's actually like a sad last movie for him because yeah. it's a hell the of a whole X twenty three thing does not work out as well as they wish it did. Right, right, right. That's the ending. Yeah, that's the good ending. Yeah. Well, it's what you call it. Uh, you know that when he's like, who is it? Uh, even from the film Rushes or the first trailers, he's like doing a chauffeur gig. I'm like, what are you doing a chauffeur gig for? I go, you got to earn a living. Great. But it's kind of like, Ugh. <laughs> I don't know. It, it was a very downer idea. Like, well, if he exists in a world where he just wants to be a chauffeur and he's satisfied with that. Well, that's weird. <laughs> you know, seriously, I mean, you know, he can make a lot more money doing a lot faster things than dicking around as a chauffeur. So that's a pretty depressing scenario for somebody with his skill set, I'm thinking. He doesn't have to be a big killer. He's the best at what he does. If it's, you know, it includes driving yeah. a car. Right, right. Okay, okay. Uh... Well... Anyway, Logan, man, I don't know, it, 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 it got the hot potato, but it got dislodged this week by, uh, was it Get Out, or what was it? What, what, what beat it this week in the box office? Because it was only up on number one one week, or two, well, I don't know. fucking uh, Beauty and the Beast is out this week, that's going to be a big hit. Kong beat Kong. it for a week, and now yeah, Beauty and the Beast was. is going to win. Um, and now Vernon, Vernon made the list of media, and the next the next topic is... Will Warner Brothers fuck up Wonder Woman and Justice League? Um, yes, they will, Vernon. Yes, they will. Wonder Woman, I'm telling you, you know. Did it, you see the, the latest preview? I think it's pretty clear that movie's fucked. Uh, I saw a trailer about a week and a half or two weeks ago or whatever it was. Is that it? Mm. Or is there something new? What's the new controversy, uh, Ryan? No, there's no new controversy. Just the latest preview is the one that has her. It's just a bunch of fucking vaguely Fight. lame fighting sequences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's not story development. That's true. That's just may a wish fulfillment. Yeah, so I think that 
you know, who knows what's going to go on with Wonder Woman, given that whatever went on with Suicide Squad's editing was uh, a big controversy. So what's interest, more interesting is is that Warner Brothers is wants to rush another one of their DC movies into development to shoot this year because Ben Affleck's Batman is delayed because, you know, he 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 thought he might have some self-respect and wasn't going to do it. But, um, <laughs> down in that self respect, I guess that $30 million paycheck just wasn't enough to go. Oh, I don't it. think it's a 30 million. I bet Ben Affleck pulled in $120 million for whatever his contract is. Oh, then that's the point. Then that's the point. It's not about whether he'll make the Batman movie, it's like how much he'll get paid. Mm-hmm. But, uh, no, I bet, he, I bet his contract's a fucking amazing thing to read. Isn't he the one that's getting divorced? Yeah. Okay, well, then he's got to make money. Yeah. But are they going to fuck up Justice League? I remember when... I remember when... People were talking about the preview for Batman versus Superman, which we need to all remember was delayed a fucking year. They put that movie's release off for a year. It would sat in the can. Yes. Oh, man. So, so they knew they had a turd, a big flaming turd. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so now we're at this point where Justice League is done, right? It's been done for a long-ass time. Even the rumors are old. It's like old bacon. All the rumors are old, but the thing is, when they made, when they had the preview for Batman versus Superman... They're like, all right, so they're going to fucking fight Doomsday, and then they're going to fight whatever the real threat is. Then you see the movie, and that's not how it goes. Because Zack Snyder doesn't know how to fucking pace a story to save his life. Are they going to fuck up? Is editing an even thing in DC movies? Because you look at them and they're just such a mess visually. You're like, are you guys trying to tell a story or are we doing kind of like a, uh, uh, I don't know, an avant-garde? Suicide Squad was made by a bunch of fucking people who edit web video. Like, it it was edited by that because, you know, it was such a turd. Yeah. So, like, are they going to fuck up Justice League unless it's, Everything that it doesn't look like it is, of course. Well, you got the characters. You got to juggle all these characters, which has got to be fun for a director. And then you got to want to do the project. If you don't want to do the project, you're going to fail because it's not going to seem like somebody who wanted to do the project, you know. And even and, that doesn't make success. You know, they're in a really rough pot because. Even though it's not that great of a movie, Captain America 3 does bring in a lot of different superheroes really well. Oh, God, yes. It's could, it should have been Avengers 3 or whatever. Right. I mean, Captain America's name was just incidental. I think right. just as Winter Soldier so, now. Yeah. So, I mean, this can be done, right? Yeah. And nothing about Justice League seems like they're going to pull it off. And I think that the, the truth is, is it doesn't matter. It's going to no, make a bunch of fucking money. money. Yeah, it's going to make money. They're right? going to make the next one. People are yeah. going to bitch about it. And we're going to flip the order of things a little bit. 
Um, we were going to talk about Riverdale next, but we're going to put that off because I want to talk about Iron Fist because we're recording this the day Iron Fist came out. Oh, came out today. Came out today. And you're seeing a lot of Marvel fans saying, well, what the hell do the reviews matter? Like, it's still good. Which is exactly what they used, they, you know, four months ago were making fun of the DC fans for saying about Suicide Squad. Well, what does it matter how the reviews are? It made a bunch of money. So... This is now the time where the critical acclaim is going to leave the Marvel brand for the first time ever. Except for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Because you know what? Nobody fucking cares about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Nobody on the face of the fucking planet cares about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. They asked Joss Whedon about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And he's like, I don't consider it real. And you know what? His fucking brother makes it. Right? Yeah. Like, how cruel is that? Anyway, so <laughs> this is the first time since, I mean, think about this. Thor 2 got good reviews. Thor 2. Right? Like, That's the it. brand, it. it's the first, like, tarnish in the brand. And the reason there's tarnish in the brand is because... They did not have an idea of how to do Iron Fist. Wow. That's too bad because, you know, like, I'll probably start watching it anyway, but their shows have such a good quality. They put, like, four seasons worth of shows together, which were really unique television in a way. You know, they had their own niche. Let's not forget the guy who plays Iron Fist is a shitty actor. We know that because we watched Game of Thrones. Oh man, does anybody is anybody a good actor in Game of Thrones? Is that fair? The 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 the, the midget the, is Vernon really putting us ahead on our. Uh, uh, anyway, uh, and I was going to say Lena Headley or whatever her name is, and there's some good act. There's some good acting on Game of Thrones. This guy sucked on Game of Thrones. Shut up! Don't He's make apologies for it. He was. Fucking terrible. Whenever you saw him alive, you were like, why couldn't they just fucking killed him off screen? Like, a, when he got busted banging the king, yeah. you were like, are they going to kill him so we don't have to fucking have him on again? And no, they kept him on to torture him. And it was lame. And then he went on to become Trump. Iron Fist. And he became Iron Fist. Which, if they'd done it right, if they'd made Danny Rand someone that you couldn't stand and then you embraced, that would have been perfect. But that's not what they did. And the problem with Iron Fist is, it's no longer Iron Fist, it's now Arrow with fucking, you know, Kung Fu. And the thing is, Arrow was Batman Begins with fucking, you know, Green Arrow. So, I mean, we're just recycling the same thing. And... I feel like the problem is is that this is when people are going to start jumping off. Well, God, Arrow, I can't believe it's lasted for, what, six seasons? Well, no, or I mean, it? people are going to start, people are going to start, we had this conversation years ago, I don't even think we were podcasting about how what got people into the theaters to see Thor and Captain America wasn't the Thor and Captain America brands, it was the Marvel brand. 
Yeah, right. And that started working on people going to movies, and we've seen how that's changed movies, right? Like, you don't care who's in Transformers 4, you're going to a Transformers movie. Fast and the Furious is the same way. All these big-budget things, it's about the brand, the biggest brand involved with it. It's not about the star. It's not about Ant-Man. It's about it being a Marvel movie. Yeah. Um, And so... I just feel like Iron Fist, the Netflix series have been so embraced, you know, like Daredevil was a revelation of what you could do with a superhero show, right? Jessica Jones, even better. Like Luke Cage, right? Luke Cage fucking crashed Netflix for a day. It was the most conventional of the three, but it was also the most like layered. Layered and sort of just complicated of the three. Right. Like, just on such a large scale with so many characters, because Jessica Jones was really just about her. Now, um, if you're going to compare that to Game of Thrones, I'll take Luke Cage on the acting department. Well, that, yeah, that's fine, but what I'm saying is is that this Iron Fist thing is fucking up. That It's going to fuck up the Defender's brand. Well, yeah. I cannot get... I couldn't get my wife to agree to watch Iron Fist. We've watched Daredevil season one is like her favorite shit. Jessica Jones. She loves Jessica Jones. Luke Cage. Daredevil season two. She loves the Punisher part. And then, you know, um, and I'm like, we got to watch Iron Fist. And she's just like, no. And I finally got her to agree to watch Iron Fist. Then I see the latest fucking preview. And I'm just like, dude, I can't. Like, I can't, I'm not going to fucking, like, you know, I'm not going to watch Iron Fist. Like, you're going to watch Iron Fist, and then you're going to watch, like, four of them and be like, I had to fucking quit watching Iron Fist. It was too stupid. <laughs> and that's kind of the thing is, is you're seeing all these people saying that it's not, like, what the reviews are saying. And the problem is, is that when you watch the trailer, you can tell that it is not produced it is not as well conceived as those other series. Well, yeah, what you wonder about that because they have all this time to work on it. They had years to work on it. They fucking yeah. hired this guy to do other series. He's producing the Avengers or the Defenders. Like yeah. it's if the Defenders doesn't surpass everything, it's going to be a failure. If it succeeds, I think we're going to see. When does this come out? <clears throat> Supposedly by the end of the year. Well, Justice League, right? Mm. Uh, there you mm. go. It's going to be better than Justice League. I mean, they're not going to care a lot. What if it's not? What now, if it's not? Then it's, well, then it's a TV show as opposed to a movie. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that would be an interesting thing, which one of those comes out ahead. I mean, because Marvel really wants their TV to – they just want everything. That's just how they are. But uh, DC really got their back up on the wall on the cinema stuff, so they mm-hmm. don't want to lose. They don't want to lose to this. Well, they will though, because Justice League's going to suck. And I can watch Wonder Woman kicking ass for an hour and a half. That's fine. It's like what an exercise. It's going to be two and a half hours. All right, two and a half hours of woman kicking ass. I could deal with it. <laughs> anyway, it doesn't prepare. It doesn't prepare to be anything that it isn't. Right? I don't know. 
I'm just talking shit. It's like, uh, well, anyway, what's last on the list? The overwhelmingness of the, you know, I find myself, what, what are we, three seasons in or whatever, and four seasons in I am to the DC hero stuff. And when the new season starts, like you got four new shows you got to start up and keep up with. It's almost like overwhelming. And I don't even watch Arrow. So I'm like, oh my God, like keeping all this stuff. Like Supergirl is dumb. I can get through that. Flash, man, it's making my head hurt with all the stuff that's going on in that. You know, I'm like, okay, are we going to solve this stuff or what's going on? You know? And uh, I said the Legends works the best for me because you can just watch an episode of it and not worry about what happens the next episode or whatever. It's right. self contained. You know, I'm like, I'm glad of that, that it's not continued on forever, you know? Um, Riverdale, did you see any of those yet? No. No, those are, those are really dark renditions of Archie characters yet again. I don't know how much influence Sarcaza has on him, but like all the kids are real, really very deep for high school students and they dress really nice and they're all clean and neat. <laughs> and, the, and the parents are all assholes. It's like they all got secrets and they're all plotting against one another and I'm like, <clears throat> It just it's uh it's interesting, but it's not there yet as far as something that's gonna hang my attention too much longer. Let's put it that way. Archie's cute. Ben and Veronica are okay. Ginger Blossom's the hottest thing on the show. There you go. That's it. <laughs> and Jug Jughead is the uh we call that the uh moral center of the series. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. supposedly they're gonna do a Halloween special someday with zombies, so there you go. No kidding. Okay, there you go. Well, something came out of that after all that nonsense. That would be nice if they got that right anyway. Anyway, there's too much to do. There's too much to read. There's too many movies to go through. I've been actually going to the Academy Award-winning stuff or whatever it is. Like, I like Moonlight. I thought that was great. So I asked you to go into superhero stuff for that. And I got to see Logan. That's my goal, just to see that. Get Out's supposed to be hot from all my customers. They all loved it. Yeah, and then what do we got coming up? When do the superhero movies start? Pretty soon, right? June. We got, what, Power Rangers? Or is that later? I forget. Some of my customers are salivating at the spit for that nonsense. What's I don't know the that. fucking... Well, there's Guardians of the Galaxy 2, there's Spider-Man, there's Wonder Woman, and there's Justice League. Is that it? I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, it, do me a favor. If you hear about Jim Starlin or anything about him, like... Getting compensated or something well, more I, than I feel like game. he did. I feel like he might have made some amends, or I feel like Marvel hired his ass again. You know, well the like, brothers, who those brothers who were supposed to be working on that one film, they invited him to be part of it or be on a scene, or maybe that's it. Maybe he gets paid scale for being an alien or something in one of the movies. I forget. He probably gets paid something, and he gets to be in the movie. That probably will be nice, but still, that's not doesn't seem like enough. You know, and. <laughs> After seeing all these characters in Guardians of the Galaxy too, give the guy fifty thousand bucks or more. Right. Give him enough on. Give him enough more than fifty thousand. So after taxes, it comes out to fifty thousand for him. How's that sound? <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So hopefully that'll that'll solve up with Mister Starlin. Let me know if you see anything on that. I'm All curious. Right. Well, there you go. Another titillating, scantilating episode of the Comics Fondo podcast. Yes, big episode. Bigger than I thought one. it was going to be. 
it, it always is. We try to get it down mm. to an hour. We, we always like fool ourselves and say, let's do this in an hour. And it's like fucking insane. We never do. Well, we, we had to clear up on some 2016. So, you know, we're, we're yeah. into 2017 now and we're on the ball. Yeah, so mm-hmm. publishers get off their, you know, the indie guys are doing all right. We're getting enough, starting to get enough mature from them. If Marvel and DC can get me to read like stuff, get me excited as much as I am about new Superman or Flintstones, we're on the board, you know. <laughs> but at least they publish two titles that I read. Like Marvel doesn't right. publish any, but, you know, that's it. But in the meantime, kids, we don't mean to knock Marvel and DC. We want you to read everything that's good. Just read comics, period, man. Read comics, read feel you love them. Yeah. And there's, there's plenty of good books that we haven't mentioned because we don't read them. I'm sure Ms. Marvel's still pretty good. I just, I just, I just don't read it. Right. I mean, like, here, here's the thing. Like, Mar- uh, was it Andrew and I will read like a half a dozen or a dozen issues of a title and say, "Okay, I'm done. We've been there, done that. We're fine." You know. And I it's mean, that's kind of like the weird thing about it is, is like we always were bitching about She-Hulk getting canceled. But it's like, yeah. as long as it gets canceled before it has to do its first fucking crossover, it's okay. Yeah. Once you right. got to do your first crossover and I got to think about shit, like, do I want to read this? Yeah, do yeah. I want to read that other comic? It's just like, let's just stop. I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. I just like, I like it. Make it a miniseries. We're done. I mean, but things like, uh, books like Slam. I mean, that's so healthy and so positive. Mm-hmm. I just love it. You know? I don't know if we, yeah, never mind. I'll just incriminate myself even further. No, no more incriminations. We're done, yep. everyone. Yep, yep. It's been I 90 can't minutes. Thank you for sticking with us. Uh, next time we'll be talking about lots of things, including Providence 12, because it's coming yeah, it's out got, soon. Yeah, it's got to finish, man. The ultimate masterpiece of mm-hmm. horror. And we're going we're gonna to be talking about the musical crossover of Supergirl and Flash, which is Vernon is just... He's so Stella. excited about everybody. He's so excited. He's so excited about it. He'll be singing the sh- songs in the shop. Lauren Begora, you know I will. Yeah, you can. Because think about it. Flash is on Tuesdays. You watch Flash. You get all those songs memorized. You can sing them all day Wednesday. <laughs> Drive Gene crazy. What uh, the fuck is that guy singing now? Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, well, good enough. Don't forget, you can you can get a hold of us at uh, what's it, what's that email we always tell them about com comicsgallery dot com is that it? Is no. it comics Wait, you can go to comicsfondle dot com. Uh, Facebook at comics gallery as well. Right, Facebook is at the comics gallery with an X, and uh, yeah, um, oh yeah, and you can always <laughs> leave us comments on iTunes. We might even read them. Or you can even call me up on the phone and yell at me. I can listen to that for a minute or two. Wow. <laughs> okay. Well, on that note, for out the number for complaints. <laughs> yeah, where's your number on my iPhone? Uh, <laughs> we'll close it off for the night, everybody. Good night. Well, it's nice. Thanks for listening, man. We're a good bunch, and we appreciate it. Thanks, everybody.